Welcome to the podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show is sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at Gemmer.com. Hello, everyone. This is Martin Willis, and I am speaking with Martin Nolan, who is the executive director of Julian's Auction. He is currently in London, and I am talking to him via Skype. How are you, Martin? Very well, thank you. And yeah, exciting to be talking to you, Martin. It's a good day for Martins. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about the Lost Archive of Marilyn Monroe. I'm really excited. I've spoke with Darren, Julian in the past. Always exciting to hear what you guys are selling. A lot of fun. And why don't you go ahead and talk about the auction? It's December 6, 2014. Yes, and we're excited because we're offering a property from the life and career of Marlon Monroe uh, on December 6th, and we've over 320 lots in the sale. Uh, of 200 of those items are have never been seen before. It's what we call the lost archive of Marlon Monroe. Very, very exciting. When you were going through this, because I've had a, a, an experience before where I was appraising items similar uh, from Maryland, and did you find any discoveries while you were cataloging that um, you were just unaware of or there was, wasn't a clear picture of before? Well, what I did discover, and I've worked on this collection for many, many months, and I, the first thing, you know, we always felt that Marlon craved love, and she didn't have love. She wasn't loved as a child. She didn't feel she was loved mm. as a child you know, growing up. She didn't know who her dad was. Um, she went from one foster home to the other, and she was always striving or craving love. And going through her lost archive, and these are letters that Marlon were were found when Marlon passed away in her home. These are items that she herself kept. So these were the important ones that she kept. They were tied in bundles, and they're in excellent condition. But what I found was that Marlon was loved. She was truly loved by Joe DiMaggio. She was truly loved by Arthur Miller. And... You know, maybe somehow along the way she sort of pushed back from that love or couldn't accept that love, but she certainly had it. Now, if I remember right, it seemed to me her foster mother um, was very close with her. Is that? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah, no. I mean, she, she, she her, yeah, she, her, her foster mother, who was a, who was a, a friend of her, her, her own actual mother of Marlon's mother. Um, and yeah, she she was friendly and she had a good relationship with him. Yes, for sure. But we felt that Marlon still craved the true love, unconventional love of parents. But yes, she did have love. But you keep in mind that Marlon, who was going to high school, she got a right to school with a gentleman by the name of, J- of James Doherty. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks after her 16th birthday, she married James Doherty. And partly because... Her foster parents decided to move back to Virginia, West Virginia area, and so the, you know what was facing Marlon was the choice of another foster home or marriage, and sort of like at 16 years of age, that's like that's a really tough choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she had good people around her, and yes, she was loved. But you always felt there was this void. I mean, she always gave the impression yes. that there was this void in her life, and then she, she did. Joe DiMaggio truly loved her and there's one particular letter from Joe DiMaggio to Marlon and he talks about seeing Marlon on the steps of the house 
announcing that she was getting a, a, a divorce from, from her husband of nine months, Joe DiMaggio, October 9th, 1954. And he was upset, firstly, because she was upset. So he was truly in love with her, but selfishly, his number one concern was her welfare, her well-being. He thought she didn't look well. He thought she was about to collapse. He felt she was under a lot of pressure from the media, under pressure from the, 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 the studio to finish the movie. And so that was his number one concern. And secondly, he wrote about his love for her and he genuinely wanted her to come home. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the painter's ready to get started, but no decorating would be done at Beach Street, their, their home, until Marlon came home. And he said, I have my faults, but I truly love you. Come home to me. And, and, and that was, it was actually very nice and very refreshing to see him put pen to paper and read his truth. We always knew that he loved her and he was the one that was there, in fact, when she passed away. And for 20 years after her, Marlon passed away two to three times a week. Flowers were sent by Joe DiMaggio to her memorial site, her grave site. Wow. I and, never heard uh, that part. Yeah, and and even and then in latter years, you know, Flowers arrived on her birthday and her anniversary. So, yeah, wow. he, he truly loved her. Wow, that is really something. You know, I, I had mentioned in a blog that I had written after I appraised a, an archive of Marilyn, starting, I think, from the age 14, her letters. You know, I, I came out of that uh, feeling kind of a lot of emotion after going through all these letters. And also, I realized she was a very smart girl. She was, she was intelligent, and a lot of people don't give her credit for that, in my opinion. Um, she was also very funny. She had a lot of uh, comedy in her notes and letters that she wrote and then you the other aspect is she was sad and felt isolated a lot yeah she she she, she did and you know when, when you read the letters and she, she she was bright but also she constantly had self-doubts about herself and her abilities and because of those self-doubts she strived and worked harder and harder harder to become you know she wanted to become regarded as a serious actress, not just like a comic. She, she, she went to, with the behest of Arthur Miller, after having met Arthur Miller in 1951, she went back to take literature classes and she was reading books. So yeah, she, she wanted, always striving to be better. And, and Marlon is responsible really for, for the brand of Marilyn Monroe that we know today. And that was, you know, she was a genius really when you think about it, what, what she created in the 1950s. Absolutely. Before we get into the offerings, I want to talk, why doesn't Marilyn Monroe go away? Why is she so hot as far as the collecting out there? Collectors love Marilyn Monroe. Collectors love Marilyn Monroe. First of all, when you when I say Marilyn Monroe, Martin, what comes to mind? You see, it comes to mind as this beautiful blonde bombshell voluptuous mm -hmm. she had an aura about her I mean she loved the camera and the camera loved her absolutely and so you know so so we have you know she passed away at age 36 you know you think about someone like Elizabeth Taylor who had just an amazing career as well as Marlon but Elizabeth Taylor lived to be a mature woman and and, and had a great life a full life we don't sort of remember Elizabeth Taylor like we remember Marilyn. If I showed a photograph of Elizabeth Taylor to an eight-year-old or nine-year-old boy or girl, they won't know who Elizabeth Taylor is. 
But I saw a photograph of Marilyn Monroe and they will know. So we gravitate towards her beauty. We also think about her vulnerability. We also think about the sadness in her life. We also think of all the obstacles she overcame. And we all love like the comeback kid. We love somebody who like beats all the odds and rises up and becomes somebody and somebody famous and somebody loved. And I think that's what plays into her collectability because all those, when I mention letters and clothing and jewelry and all that from Marilyn Monroe, what we're really trying to touch is the memory. We're we're very nostalgic Mm -hmm. and we're trying to we're trying to grasp onto the memories. Marlon is gone, but we could have a letter. We could have earrings with shoes or something from her life and career. That's her legacy, and that's the memory, and that's what we try to cling on to. Absolutely, and I also think that a Marilyn Monroe signature or letter would be extremely hard to fake. She had very unusual uh, handwriting and beautiful handwriting. She had great handwriting. She truly had. And there's not a lot of it out there. And, this, of course, it's the supply and demand. You know, the less it's there, the more expensive it becomes. And also, in, in, in the last, like, 10 years, let's say, even since, let's say, the first estate sale for Marlin was in 1999, and then Julian's auctions, we did the second estate sale in 2005. But since then, like, in the 10 years since the estate sale, or almost 10 years, her prices have soared 10, 20, 30, 40 times what it was, partly because of the opening up the Asian markets. You know, Western mm-hmm. pop culture is now available to the Asian buyers who have money. With the internet, they're able to buy online now from our auction, Julian's auctions. And that's what's driving prices as well. There's a whole new group of buyers out there. And one example of our collectability is we, we sold a purple skirt in the, at the estate auction in 2005, for approximately $1,500. And we resold, the lady who bought it came back to us to resell it in our 2012 Icons and Idols Hollywood auction. We sold that skirt for 50000 <laughs> Well, that's what you call collecting that turned into a very good investment. And Marlin is a Marlin is a blue chip. When it comes to blue chips, you know, investing, you think of, you know, celebrity memorabilia. If you want to buy, you invest in the blue chip. Marlin Monroe certainly would be up there, center stage. You know, it's it's funny because a lot of celebrities that aren't even flash flashes in the pan, you know, no names, they fade. You know, their collectability fades, and there's just a few chosen that this doesn't happen to. Pretty amazing. Exactly. So you think about, you know, Elvis obviously would be one, Michael Jackson, the Beatles, Marilyn Monroe, uh, James Dean, Audrey Hepburn. Like they would be sort of like the main figures, center stage, always have the staying power. You know, you look at contemporary artists today in the music or Hollywood scene. And uh, you wonder, like, you know, who has the staying power? Who's, you know, is Britney going to be around for the next 20, 30 years? Is Gaga going to be around in 10 or 20 years? Well, if you were buying collectibles from their life and career right now, like, are they going to be relevant, you know, for the generations to come? And that's that's where the value is. You know, if, if they have the staying power, it's a good investment. You buy something that's great conversation piece, fantastic memory. It's It's a tangible asset. And over time, we'll appreciate and value. Yes. Now, we're doing this podcast um, before the auction, and there's really no way of telling what things are going to sell for. I've always known Julian's to have a very conservative estimate, and I think that's always worked pretty well for you. 
I want to tell the listener that this uh, website is your website. Can you spell it out just so I don't make any mistakes? Yeah, so it's uh, Julian's Auctions, and it's J-U-L-I-E-N-S, Auctions, with an S as well, A-U-C-T-I-O-N-S.com. Very good, and it'll be up there. So let's talk about the um, the highlights and some of the things that you, you think are really going to take off, let's say. Yes, well, I think anything from the Lost Archive is going to really take off because when people come to to buy art or memorabilia, they like something that's fresh to the market. They like mm-hmm. something that hasn't been seen or heard for from a long time. So anything of the two hundred items from the lo- over two hundred items from the Lost Archive collection will sell very very well because they've never, they've, you know, Marlon owned them. She held them on. She held on to them, so they were very important to Marlon. And then Lee Strasberg, who inherited them gifted them to a friend and it's, so it's a stayed within stayed within that group of people since then until now and so people people love to get something that's fresh the love letters from Arthur Miller are truly amazing of course he was a gifted writer but the description and the detail and he was so graphic and he was so much in love with her and remember it's 1956 we didn't have texting or email <laughs> people wrote letters and they wrote beautiful letters and sometimes yes. they wrote more than one letter a day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Arthur Miller letters will sell very well the Joe DiMaggio letter has to be one of the piece de resistance in the auction because it's just we knew Joe loved her and we 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 always felt sorry for him because you know they were only married for nine months and he wasn't the fantastic writer that Arthur Miller was he wasn't sort of so eloquent in his words but he loved Marlon he Marlon was the true love of his life and you know there was rumor or speculation at the time that um, Marlon died that she, she, there was talk that she would um, she was considering actually getting back with Joe DiMaggio and p- perhaps even remarrying. Wow. So that letter is, is a really important letter. Items of clothing from Marlon, there's so few of them in this auction that they will sell very, very well. We have a coat which we, we've named her favorite coat and that's simply because she wore it so many times, so many different events. You see her with Arthur Miller in the car, at the airport, um, you know, at various events, having fun. And it's a beautiful coat. It's like a, it's a silk coat with a black velvet collar in excellent condition. Um, it was sold at the first estate sale in 1999. Um, so, you know, it's, the provenance is fantastic on it. We estimated 80 to 120,000, but I expect that's a very conservative auction estimate. Wow. Also, yeah, and then we have this also something very new. It's part of the Lost Archive. It's Martin Monroe's own personal copy of Misfits behind the scene film. Mm. So, Martin, the Misfits was, in fact, Marlon's last completed movie, and it was also the last movie that Clark Gable acted in. Oh, so, wow. When Marlon Monroe was growing up, her, she, her, she loved uh, Clark Gable. He was her idol. In fact, she used to even fantasize that Clark Gable might be her father. And then she got to work with him on the set of The Misfits, and they had a fantastic time. So this is, it's, a, it's, it's 19 minutes in length. It's a 16 millimeter reel of The Misfits, behind the scenes, all the actions going on, the fun, the games, the frolics. Um, which was created for foreign foreign press, in fact, as a promotional type of tape for the Misfits. And um, Marlon actually kept this. 
two days after they completed Philomene, it was in Nevada where they filmed this movie, where the Philomene was done. Two days after they finished, Clark Gable got a heart attack, sadly, and then nine days later he passed away. Hmm. So that's, there's a double factor there. You have Clark Gable and you have Marilyn Monroe. That's a fantastic piece. We have um, a, you know, something as simple as a pill bottle, some of her mascara, her compact. We have her juicer, would you believe, which is mm, funny. I saw that. We have, yeah, we have <laughs> Marilyn Monroe brassiere, um, great photographs, you know, fresh, not candid photographs, Contact sheets. You know, these are contact sheets are these like images, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes on a page. They would, they would be given to Marlon and she'd go through and select which images she approved for publicity, promotion, etc. So a lot of them would never have been seen before because she picked out the best ones. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, and again, going back to the letters, there's the, the Joe DiMaggio letter. There's a great letter from. From Jane Russell. Jane Russell, you know, was a good friend of Marilyn Monroe's, and and they acted together in many movies. Most um, probably the most famous one being um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. So Jane was in Paris, and Billy Trevia. Now that's Marilyn's one of Marilyn's designers. He designed that famous dress, the Seven Year Rich dress. The one that blew up in the subway grade in New York, oh, yeah. that white dress. He also designed the gold llama dress, many, many dresses. So he's in Paris, Jane is in Paris, and they're having a chat about Marilyn and the concern for Marilyn. But Jane is writing to Marilyn to urge her not to divorce Joe DiMaggio, telling her how, what a good man Joe DiMaggio is. And she's encouraging her, Marilyn, to turn to religion to help her get through this rough patch. And then she signs off, you know. It's none of my business. I, I just want you to be happy. And then uh, she signs off, old Jane. Old Jane. So it's a 10-page handwritten letter from Paris to Marlon Monroe that Marlon actually kept. That's a great piece. Wow. Another, another great letter, Martin, um, is another great letter is from Kerry Grant. Uh, and he, he writes, he, he's after coming back from Korea, and he visited the troops in Korea, and he went to the hospital and visited all the wounded soldiers. And he writes to Marlon to tell her every single soldier he went to visit wanted to talk about Marlon Monroe. And one soldier gave gave uh, him a gift to bring to Marlon, which he did. He sent it to Marlon uh, and he told her about this soldier who was so in love with Marlon and he asked her if she would sign a photograph and send it to this soldier who was recovering from terrible injuries in the war. Um, and but what you read from that is she was so beloved and she meant so much, especially to the troops in Korea where she visited when she was on on her honeymoon um, with Joe DiMaggio. Right, right. Now another interesting and sort of a little bit of a dark side, but I bet it'll be highly collective, is the uh, prescription medicine bottles. <laughs> yeah, so that's obviously unusual, and and it, and to me that says yes, this uh, these things actually did come right out of. Marilyn's possession when she died. Yes, her pill bottles, and and even there's one 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 actual lot, which is Marilyn's list of medications, and it's like it's just like nine sixty if you read it, and you can go online to Julian's Auctions and you can actually see all these. They're all online right now, but if you take out and look at the lot nine sixty, Marilyn is to take pills as follows, and it's bottle one and bottle two and bottle three, and it's how many times a day, and it's like first to three days and second to four days and it's like it's you'd need a, a nurse nearly to 
even just to determine what she was taking, how, you know, and obviously she tragically passed away over because of a drug overdose. And you read this page, one page, of all the drugs she was taking at this particular time, and it was like, wow, how, like how, how was she upright? How was she functioning? Right. And, you know, there's so many conspiracies about her death. And, and you know, we'll never know exactly you know what happened most likely it was from a plane overdose but there are certainly a lot of conspiracies anyone at all who wants to can just go online and you can find all kinds of things all kinds of conspiracies but the reality is and and if you're looking at the lost archive just and the letters from judge from from arthur miller and he, he talks about you know having spent two nights with marlon and she didn't have to take a sleeping pill and he was so proud of that so, and that was 1956. So she was already taking lots of medication, including pills to have her sleep, six years before she passed away. So, you know, she passed away from a drug overdose. And, uh, you know, obviously there's lots of theories out there. Um, but one thing is reality is she was consuming a serious amount of medication in the 1950s. Right. So do you feel pretty confident, you mentioned earlier that Marilyn Monroe was blue chip for the collector. Do you feel that this is uh, is going to just keep on going as, as time goes on? Yes, this will keep going, partly because there's, there's less and less of Marilyn stuff available. You know, more and more of this stuff is being bought up by museums. And when museums buy, they typically don't sell. And they buy Marlin because Marlin is a draw. If they have Marlin as part of their collection, people will come to the museum. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's, 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 that's great. Um, and secondly, it's the new buyers all the time. More and more I see new buyers starting to buy Marlin. You know, existing buyers adding to their collections. And then new buyers, and, and especially with the Asian market now, and because our auctions are global, you know, people go to juliansauctions.com, they can register for the auction at Julian's Live, they can see and hear the auctioneer. So where you are with your, your, your laptop or your tablet or whatever, you'll be able to log on, register for the auction, see and hear the auctioneer, click the buttons, bid in real time. You're bidding like as if you're in the room, you're bidding against people in the room. And, of course, we ship the items all over the world. So it's a global auction that's held in our gallery in Beverly Hills. Right. And I'm a little bit surprised that the Asian market has actually started collecting Maryland, but has that's kind of been a trend for um, a segment of the Asian collectors to collect Americana in some form or another. Yes, and, and what we notice about Asia as well they move sort of in packs, so to speak. What I mean by that is that, you know, once it becomes trendy or popular, like wine, you know, Asian market is not a big wine drinking community, used to be the case. But now, like, it's suddenly very trendy to, to buy wines at auction. And, you know, the Asian China, I think, is one of the biggest buyers of contemporary art right now. So it's, it's very trendy, and they jump on trends. They like to be doing what's trendy. And in the collectible arena, you know, the Beatles, you have Marlon Monroe, Audrey Hepburn, James Dean, and um, let's say Michael Jackson, Elvis. They're all, like, really hot commodity right now in Asia. 
Yes, just briefly, let's talk about the basketball that Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson played <laughs> together. With a that went to the Asian market, and that had like a three to five hundred dollar estimate. Do you remember what it sold for? Two hundred ninety-four thousand. I will never forget it. <laughs> Amazing. I'm, I'm looking for another basketball like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, it's been a real pleasure, Martin, and uh, we're all looking forward to see what happens on December sixth. I think we'll be breaking some records. And thank you, Martin. It was a pleasure as well. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to this podcast at antiqueauctionforum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.